Hello, everyone. Welcome to First Love Ministries podcast. And we're doing a series on Advent, which we began last week with the prophecy candle. And that, if you recall, Advent means coming. Essentially, there was a season in Israel's life and history where they were longing and waiting for someone to arrive. You think about the song we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom, Captive Israel, that there was this longing, this expectancy for the Messiah to come, a Savior who would deliver them and free them from Rome's tyranny and that they would be their own independent nation again. And the whole idea of of this advent of coming, of the first coming of Jesus, but part of coming, of course, is waiting and longing for someone to arrive. Well, last week especially, I focused on the fact that the prophecy candle reminded us that when the angel Gabriel said, no word from God will ever fail, and that Isaiah 46, 11, God said through Isaiah, what I have said that I will bring about, and what I have planned, that I will do. And in Isaiah 44, 24 to 26, the Lord also said, I am the Lord who carries out the words of my servants and fulfills the predictions of my messengers. And lastly, we talked about the fact that the Lord promises and does in fact carry out what he said. The difficulty for us is often it's God's timing. And that's up to him and when he's going to accomplish it. Well, today, this candle is called, in some traditions, the Bethlehem candle. And most of all, it focuses on the fact that Jesus is, in fact, king. Well, as I mentioned, the people were longing, waiting, looking for a deliverer. And in John chapter 7, verses 40 to 43, people have just experienced Jesus, listen to what he has said, and then the scripture says this, On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely, surely this man is the prophet. And others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived. The people themselves somehow knew it had been out there that Scripture said a Messiah would come who would be from the line of David and would in fact be born in the town of Bethlehem. Well, what were these Scriptures that they might have known, have heard about, heard it taught or talked about by the rabbis? Well, one of them is this incredible prophetic promise that God made to David through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 7, 16, where after a number of really cool things, he finishes the statement by saying, Your house, David, and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And the idea of your throne, meaning your reign, your rule, would be established forever. And then in Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, we have this other promise where God says through Micah, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler." 
who will shepherd my people Israel. So most likely these prophecies, no word from God will ever fail. Not sure when it's going to happen, but clearly the people knew Bethlehem and a ruler coming out of Bethlehem and a ruler coming who would be from the line of David. Well, if they only knew the details of Jesus's birth, they would have known that they were right, that now was the time, in their time, those prophecies were going to be fulfilled. First of all, you have the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. In Luke 1.30, he says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants, over Israel forever. His kingdom, or his reign, will never end. We are now nine months away from God's timing, from that prophecy being fulfilled. And you notice that Gabriel's words are very similar to the prophecy that was given to David through Nathan all those years before. Well, then in Luke chapter 2, in those days, it says, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Talk about God's sovereignty, God orchestrating God's appointed time, that here in this moment of time, of course, Caesar wouldn't know it, but clearly God would have had sovereign influence over Caesar Augustus, that he sends out this decree that gets Joseph to the town of Bethlehem, Joseph, who is from the line of David. Then the angels come to the shepherds and say, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Later, when Matthew compiles his gospel, it begins right 1-1, Matthew 1-1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so it begins with Abraham, and it goes through the generations to David, and then through the generations to Joseph, to show that Joseph was indeed from the line of David. But the last important detail to me is in Matthew 2.2, where you know the story of the wise men, the magi, who come to Herod, where they come to Herod and say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. When Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they quote the Micah text. But here it is stated as explicitly as can be. He is the king of the Jews. Messiah means anointed one, the Lord, not totally sure at this point what they mean, but the fact that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus is the Lord, and here the Magi call him King of the Jews. Well then remember, even this is why Jesus is executed. Remember, this is the statement that's put on his cross. 
Jesus, the King of the Jews. And remember how much the religious leadership did not want that title on the cross. But nonetheless, he's the King of the Jews. Well, then Jesus is raised from the dead. And in Acts 2.32, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So he's called the King, the Lord, and the Messiah by the angels at his birth through the prophecies. Now, as he's risen from the dead, Peter exclaims and says that God has backed it up, that Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Messiah. And then finally, in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, we have the fact that twice Jesus is referred to as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and that he's on the throne with God. In Revelation 5-6, it says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And then everyone around who is kneeling and bowing and exclaiming to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise, honor, and glory and power forever and ever. For salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then in 7.17 it says, For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Just consider the fact that in Micah's prophecy. It said that a ruler would come up from Bethlehem who would be a shepherd to the people of Israel. Now, why say all that? Why talk about all that? Why does it matter? I remember years ago when I was pastoring and I was preparing for this particular talk, for this particular sermon that Sunday, and I started asking myself, so what? What difference does it make? I mean, yay, glad that prophecy is fulfilled, glad that it shows that God is sovereign, that he, in fact, does what he says. But still, somehow, it just wasn't getting a hold of my heart. So I ended up putting on this movie, Anna and the King. Maybe you've seen it before. Jodie Foster plays Anna. There was this particular scene, though, and I even showed it for the church that Sunday morning because of what God did to my heart in that moment. But there is this scene where Jodie Foster, Anna, comes walking in to the throne room, which is just this enormous, it's just hard to describe the size of this room. And there's about 10, 12 stairs, I think it is, that goes all the way up to a seat. And you've got to go all the way across this room, and then you see him sitting at the top of this throne. And she comes marching in, comes up to the front, and she's there because of an argument between one of his wives and her. And, but one of the wives is on the floor, and his right-hand man is on the floor. He's up on the throne, and Jody's just standing there, as tall and as arrogant as ever, and begins to have a conversation. Well... At some point, the king comes down and he tells her, I'll allow you to stand in my presence so long as your head is lower than mine. And finally, she walks out. And it's only then that the king motions with his hand for his right-hand person to get up off the ground. At which point, that right-hand man says to the king, Your majesty, what are we going to do with this woman who thinks herself equal to a man? 
To which the king answers, oh no, not equal to a man, equal to a king. And I remember at that moment, it all of a sudden hit me that you and I, particularly those that are listening to this podcast that are Americans, is that you and I as Americans have no context for a king. Here we are in a democracy, and here at this season we've just gone through this election, and I think the first thing that hit me about this was Jesus is king forever. He reigns forever. His reign, his rule will never end. You know what I love most of all about this first is that there are no elections in heaven. Jesus will never be replaced. There will never be another king. There will never be another government. And the government that he has in Isaiah 9, 7, it says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. You know, the first thing is just to recognize that he is the sovereign ruler. He is the sovereign king. His reign, his rule, his government will be forever. He will never be replaced. And the best part is his rule is done with righteousness. It's done with justice. Everything that Jesus said and did on the earth, how he acted, forgiving, loving, kindness, mercy, justice, goodness, all of that, will be forever what his kingdom, what his reign, what his rule is like. But I think the other thing that hit me about that illustration with Anna and the king was the fact that, yeah, as an American, I would stand there like Jody, toe-to-toe with this king because in our minds, well, he's just a man. But then I thought about, wow, standing there with Jesus and that Jesus would be beside me And at that moment, he might say, you are not equal to a man. You are also not equal to a king. You are not equal to me. The point being is that we often think of Jesus as our friend, as our brother, which he is, as our shepherd. But brothers and sisters, friends, he is first and foremost and always will be king And I guess this is what leads to the final part for me in in this podcast is going back to the Magi, where it says, On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was at this point that I realized, Lord Jesus, I am so sorry because I don't know what it's like to be in the presence of a king, but this at least reminded me that the first thing we ought to do is to bow down and worship the king, the real king, the eternal king, the only king who is also God. It convicted me so much that it caused me to memorize 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, where I wanted to hear God say it to me and remind me and hear Jesus say it to me every day. And every day before I went out for my prayer walk, I'd get on my knees and bow down before the king and say, remind me again of who you are. And he would say, Mark, I am God. I am Jesus, the blessed 
and only ruler, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen nor can see, to me be honor and might forever and ever. Every day I started with that, and then I'd hear him say, as though the Father were there, and he'd say, but now, son, rise and walk with me. Or Jesus saying, now, my friend, come walk with me. Friends, we can't appreciate the incredible miracle of Jesus coming among us as the King of heaven. And then the fact that he actually humbled himself. Remember John 17, too, he says, knowing that all power and authority had been given to him, that he'd come from the Father, was returning to the Father, that he took off his outer garment and got down on his knees and became a servant to the disciples. This is our King. But oh, that God would help us recognize that the first and most appropriate and most important response to knowing that he's king, that he's the eternal king, that he's a living king, is that we bow down and that we worship. You know, I had the season where Robin and I were in Catholic churches for a summer as a part of a, of a music group that we sang. And, and, but I watched people come in and, and kneel before they went into the pew. It was my first experience with seeing anything like that. And I thought, wow, isn't that appropriate? The fact that we don't kneel in many of our traditions, we don't kneel, hardly ever, bits and pieces, but recognizing that Jesus is the King, God is the King. And I guess the other thing in closing is the fact that the Magi brought gifts. You know, just to think about Christmas and we all buy gifts and we exchange them to one another, but it made me wonder in prayer these last couple of days in preparation, thinking, Lord, wonder if it should be that as the church at Christmas time would be the time when the church would all pull together monies and pull together to give this incredible gift. And Christmas among believers would be giving gifts away to those who can't even have gifts. In fact, God bless Andy Stanley. I heard Robin, I just overheard her listening to him, but the fact that over the last, I think it was 10 years, I can't quote me exactly on this, but if I remember hearing it right from across the room, that in the last 10 years, once a year, they collect a one-time gift just to give away. And in the last 10 years or so, I think he said something like $25 million. I thought, wouldn't that be appropriate for Christmas? Wouldn't that be appropriate that one day of the year at Christmas time, we remember that he's king and we bow down and worship and we bring gifts so that they can be distributed and given away to those who don't have. I don't know, just a thought. The point of the Bethlehem candle is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies about a coming king. But he's not just the Davidic king. He wasn't a king just to set up some government on earth. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and his government will never end. Lord Jesus, we just love you. We thank you. We bless you. In our hearts, we bow down and worship you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are and for loving us so much, O King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. God bless you all. <laughs>